Welcome to the JM Pal Podcast Experience. Listening to the Che and Pav Show, Teachers Talking Teaching. Where two middle school teachers sharing our reflections, insights about the topics that matter the most in the classroom. So hey, Pav, join us in the hallway or even the parking lot, or better yet, how about the staff room? Welcome to episode 114 of the Chan Pav Show. Thank you for joining us as we sit around the table to talk teaching. Today we're having a wonderful conversation with retired principal Kristen Phillips about her new book, For the Love of Learning, A Year in the Life of a School Principal. Before we talk to Kristen, however, we would like to introduce ourselves. My name is Pav and I make up half of this dynamic duo. My other half is sitting here next to me, but I'll let him introduce himself. Just hold on, cause I'm coming, cause I'm a soul man. That's crossover. That's a synergy of two songs. It's a mashup. That's yeah. what it is. Oh, oh. <laughs> that was great. And your, and your name was is? Was it really great or did you just say great? No, no, it was great. Because uh, I am Che, <laughs> the Hurricane Cheney. And I'm ready to talk, huh, you know, teaching. Teaching. Pav, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Enjoying a little uh, summer rain today. Uh, not much else going on. It's just a couple more days till we start school. And so I'm uh, gearing up for that. We are getting ourselves ready to get back into uh, our spaces. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that we haven't been in the educational space throughout the summer. I know you can digest and debate whether you want to disconnect, but I think every teacher just needs to find their comfort flow. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we're thinking about education. Maybe we're thinking about our teaching. Perhaps we're not. But whatever builds our confidence to come flowing back into the building physically, I think is key. So I know I've had lots of ideas sort of floating around of what I'm going to do, what I want to do, articles I've read. So I'm feeling really good mm -hmm. to start the new year and also feeling really good, Path, um, because I don't know if every teacher does this and they don't have to do it. Again, it's about finding your flow and your comfort. That I know I spend the last sort of six weeks really tinkering with my craft with students that I've built a little bit of a trusting relationship so we can be really perhaps more uh, curt with whether something's working or landing really well. And I'm looking forward to really 
uh, revising, expanding, tinkering with things that I worked on at the end of last year to see how they're going to work with fresh new faces and bodies in the space this year. So I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm excited. It sounds like it. (laughs) And you have to be really excited or really anxious because you are going back for a new role for yourself. Yes, you're right. I'm a little bit of both. I'm excited and I am anxious. Uh, I am nervous, definitely. Um, I have to remind myself that... I, I should not feel like an imposter in this role. I know I've made that statement before and I had a great conversation with Doug Peterson um, by Twitter, you know, direct messages um, about the fact that, you know, you're, you're very qualified for this role. And so, you know, that nervousness that you might feel is, is normal, um, but I shouldn't feel like I am out of place because I was hired for this role. I'm capable of this role. Uh, and, and so I have to sort of get that out of my head. I am absolutely qualified. I'm, I'm probably going to do a great job, but I would like to think that I'm going to do a great job as a middle year student success counselor, um, a central role this year. Um, so I have to, I have to be prepared for that. And I did do some learning, you know, I have, I think maybe the last three weeks is, has been my summer break really, because I was taking a course, uh, an adolescent reading additional qualification course, which was phenomenal. Um, Anne-Marie Longpree was the, um, was the instructor and she's fantastic. And there were a great group of teachers and we were talking about how to incorporate um, really great reading pedagogy in the adolescent years. And and so for myself, I knew I took away a lot of really great content from there. So that's, that's sort of how I um, stayed current and in my teacher flow, in my, my comfort flow over the summer. And uh, that's where I felt really good. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, I've really been soaking in a lot of time with the kids and decompressing and just getting ready to head Pat, back in. Pat, when you took that course, it was just after we had recorded our reading culture or the science of reading episode. And of mm-hmm. course, one of the themes that came out of that is that every age, not that your age dictates where you are in your learning, but certain generalities, is that with that adolescent learner, what we want out of a reading program or a culture of reading shifts, mm-hmm. it differentiates. It's There's certain themes that um, obviously reoccur, but there's also nuances to each collection or each grade of children that you want to inspire a different uh, component of reading. And I highlight that because I took my adolescent reading part one. I guess, no, I have my adolescent reading specialist from 27 years ago. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But when I think back to when I took that, I really appreciated the focus on the adolescent learner. Now, as a middle school teacher, of course, it's obvious, but just in general, I really appreciated the work of Kylene Beers. I mm-hmm. wish I could remember my course instructor now. Literally, it is 17 years ago on Se- that course. 17 or 27? Well, I, I embellish facts, right? <laughs> right. I mean, why, why give real facts when we all know that the, you know a fact tells the truth and ultimately hides the truth? That's why don't right. I just give a fact that totally hides the truth entirely? And just throw out random numbers. That's right. So Guess I'm go- your age. going into my 37th year of teaching this yes, year. That's so I'm, right. I'm pumped up about that. So I know you did lots of great learning on your adolescent. And it was funny as for, for me as sort of an observer how it triggered my moments and made me draw upon texts that I had read back then and, and review things that I had learned back then, just hearing you on mm-hmm. your journey. Although maybe it's not a journey, but it's looking up at the horizon. Rather than being on a path, mm-hmm. every day is a new horizon. And sort of your journey in that adolescent reading space 
rekindled my reconnection back to the learning I'd done 17 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I also have my reading part one qualifications from when I started teaching. Uh, so even for myself, this taking this, this, uh, adolescent focus reading course, um, you know, 15 years later, um, there, there's a lot, a lot of stuff is, the same. A lot of the foundational things that we learned about reading and setting up really successful reading programs. But as you mentioned before, this one is more of an adolescent focus. So things are um, a slightly different when it comes to engagement uh, within reading. And of course, there has been a lot that has changed. Uh, one of those things, namely, has been um, the infusion of technology into reading. So uh, my we had uh, our individual kind of research projects that we had to engage in for this course. And, and mine was a focus on audio content because for myself, uh, being able to listen to a book really changed the game for me. And I know for a lot of uh, students that I've worked with over the past couple of years, really engaging more on in podcasts and audio books and audio content in general has really uh, made the reading program a little more flourished and and so that was something that I really wanted to focus on a little bit more of the science and the research behind why for the adolescent brain um, focusing a little bit more on audio content is um, is so beneficial avenues to access reading are greater if we as teachers are willing to be open to it mm -hmm. I know you've been going through some tweets recently really with a uh, you know, because that's where we get a lot of our inspiration, a lot of real fixation on, you know, reading debate. But I think it reminds me we on mastery-based learning, do we all have the shared definition of what reading looks like right. for a student? And then when you talk about that audio content, you know, you consider that that's a form of reading that's well within the, the space of reading. And so you, you really talk about that well. I recall... Um, not to gaslight the previous course, but 17 years ago, there wasn't much focus on making sure text was as representative yes. and making sure how much even a great book can alienate if folks don't see seen and represented. And uh, I know from the books that you were sharing that were mm -hmm. discussed in your class, those weren't necessarily books uh, that came up 17 years ago. And in fact, I don't even remember it. Now, it might not be that it didn't happen. I don't recall that as one of the lasting moments. I always think of the pre, during, post activities to uh, trigger that engagement, build that curiosity, knowing when to use it, knowing how they can be detrimental to just enjoying a great story. So yeah, it's been great to watch you dive into this space and, and sort of rekindle and reignite my, my fixation on my own reading program. Yeah. Or culture of reading culture of reading yeah i love that term and i did create a folder and share it with you with all of the really great stuff that uh, that i took away from that course this could be an episode on its own talking about uh you know the evolution of the reading program in the classroom and and what that looks like at different age levels and and you know our focus is always going to be that middle school grade six seven and eight age group and so you know that could be a great conversation sometime Maybe we should, you know, make a podcast about it. We could do that. Hmm. But Pav, of course, today's episode is not about our courses. It's our setup for a wonderful interview, a wonderful discussion. Still about uh, reading, though. Absolutely. <laughs> it's about stories. So um, why don't we go to a brief in a moment and then set up this, this, uh, this wonderful interview you had. But, you know, as we come out of the summer, um, maybe just let our listeners know. We know our content hasn't been as consistent, but it has been consistent, just a little bit more... Um, 
breakage, and I don't even want to call it breakage, the podcast space, when you think of creating audio content, it, it, it expands your world. When you know, we talk about podcasting, it's about personal self-development. So it's great to tell stories and, and share wonderful stuff with our audience, but to the core, it's about self-actualization. And through that self-actualization come these wonderful other spaces for us to continue to grow and explore. And we should give some thank, uh, big shout-outs to Irma that invited us down to Waterloo. And we went to Waterloo and we met with a bunch of uh, great teachers and educators that wanted to learn a little bit more about the podcasting space. And we literally, like, test driving a car. We set up all the gear. We you know we shared some of our experiences, our best practices, and said, let's come. Let's play. Let's mm. explore, right? Because these pedagogies, they are not bound by a subject. Exploration and curiosity and, and play is crucial. And so we had a really great time in that space. And of course, we've been building up. Um, we have our first public, or not our first publication, our first article coming out with... Uh, Edfo Voice. Edfo Voice magazine yeah. in September. So, you know, we've been working out to photo shoot and editing. <laughs> and of course, you're so enthusiastic to write and tell your story that you write 6,000 words, although they told you 1,500. And you're like, don't worry, don't worry. They'll read the article. They're like, this is great. And then they're like, this is great, but it's got to be 1,500 words. A lot of editing and revising. But yes, we're very excited about the fall issue of Edfo Voice. So if you are a teacher in Ontario, please look out for your copy of that publication which will be coming out very very soon and maybe one more bit of news for chain pav is that we'll be um featured or presenting at the ontario art education association in october uh revisiting our reframing remembrance day through digital photography and culturally responsive photo editing which of course was featured last year with the mosaic art institute or mosaic institute with their uh art fair and we're really looking forward to continue uh, to highlight that work and the great work of our students in bringing out the vast stories around Remembrance Day that allow more folks to be seen and part of the storytelling process. Pav? I love that segue into stories and storytelling. So why don't we head over to our break and then we'll come right back and talk about this amazing book that we're going to be uh, discussing very soon. You're listening to The Chain Pav Show. And you are back, well, to The Chain Pav Show. And this episode is all about stories. What better way to start the new school year than with a story about a school year? And our interview today is with Kristen Phillips, the author of, a uh, best-selling mm -hmm. author of the book, For the Love of Learning, A Year in the Life of a School Principal. And we were really thrilled to kick off, uh, to have this interview and sort of kick off the new season, although we don't identify our podcast through seasons, is in much of our learning path, we've realized the power of stories as crucial access points across all curriculum, across all strands. We want a story to look ourselves in the mirror. We want a story to look at other folks through windows. And we want story to be a sliding door for us to be able to engage and uh, have empathy and lead to to impact, and I think this story is a wonderful way to kick off a year because it's a story about the school year. It's a story about a principal's, the humanizing of the principal's role, or it allows us to humanize what it's like to be an administrator going through the vast 
spaces that an administrator might do. It's not a series of three checklists, and these are the three things that an administrator does every single day. It's a wonderful window for us as teachers to know what's going on with our administrators. I think of my administrators, either the ones I've had great relationships or poor relationships with, but on the day-to-day, minute-by-minute, I really don't know what they go through. And so this story was a wonderful weave of narrative about what a principal goes through on a daily basis that humanizes that role and brings this insight into that. So, Pav, do you have a few more comments before we roll right into this? Uh, Yeah, no, I just wanted to highlight that indeed this week uh, for the love of learning by Kristen Phillips has hit the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail bestseller bestseller list uh, for original nonfiction and Canadian nonfiction. So it is uh, absolutely amazing that we had an opportunity to talk to Kristen about her book. And I and I did want to highlight as well um, the importance of stories, as you wonderfully did as well. Um, it truly is written in a way that invites you into her world uh, because it is told as a narrative from the beginning of the school year to the end. And, and for myself, as I'm reading, I find myself thinking, feeling like I'm actually there mostly because I can relate to so many of those experiences. I've, I've had those experiences or similar experiences in the past. And so it really pulls you in and draws you into the story of, of what Kristen experiences as a, as a principal uh, throughout the school year and so um, I, I truly appreciated the way that the story was told um, and, it, and it was really great to, to have the conversation with Kristen to talk to her about her perspective and what the storytelling and writing journey was like for her. I, I love the word insight. It mm-hmm. brings us insight, illuminates, it humanizes. So without any right. more pause or singing, mm-hmm. just hold on and let's get to that interview. I thought you said no more singing. Oh. And you're listening to the Chain Pav Show. All right, so you've heard Pav and I introduce our guests for today, and of course, talk a little bit about teaching. But we are here with Kristen Phillips, and we have this fresh new book, fresh new author in with us today. Kristen, please introduce yourself to our audience and give them a, a little snapshot of your educational journey and how this manifested in this wonderful writing project. Hi, well, thanks for having me today. Uh, I guess the thing is, I've been going to school my whole life. So I was a student, and then I was a teacher, taught everything from kindergarten to grade 10. Then I became a principal in three different schools, and I finished my career as a system administrator. Um, So I kind of had seen the the whole school system. And then in 2019, um, I retired, and I had an opportunity to teach in Tanzania. I was teaching math to uh, girls in a rural school. These girls had all been rescued from early forced marriage. And in Tanzania, if you have had sex, then you can't go to secondary school. So this NGO had a school for these girls. And my job was to teach them mathematics and English, even though they spoke Swahili. Well, that gave me a lot of insight into um, teaching MLL. However, the, um, so it's a rural school. So you had to picture dirt floors, no tech, no photocopier, no textbooks. I had a rickety blackboard, um, the occasional snake and chalk most days, not every day, but I absolutely loved it. 
And it really brought me back to all those reasons that I love teaching and education. And then the girls were committed. They were excited to learn. And this was my retirement plan, that I was going to continue with developmental work in education. And then the pandemic hit. So I came back. First, I learned how to make bread like everyone else. And mm-hmm. I was looking at retirement <laughs> plan number two. And so I've always liked writing. I've been writing a blog for years called EduBits. And after more than 30 years in education, I certainly had a lot of stories. So I decided to write them all down really for something to do. And it's a memoir in that they're all my experiences, but it is written more like a story of a year at school, right? From the exciting days of September to the last day of school. So if you ever kind of wondered what a principal did all day long, this would be your chance. That sounds fantastic. And in your journey, has it sounds like it has been a fantastic journey as well, just to hear about all of the experiences you have, um, especially, you know, teaching in Tanzania and just prior to the pandemic, that that sounds like such a wonderful experience that led to this uh, writing journey itself. And um, and so as we were reading through the book, we found that uh, it actually provides um, a lot of insights into the diverse roles and jobs that an administrator contends with daily. Um, so who do you think is going to benefit most from hearing about these these many unknown stresses or joys of being a school administrator? Is there is there any segment of the educational space that you feel needs to see and hear what's going on in a school building more than others? Well, I think that What's unique about the principal role is that you see it all and you get to interact with everyone, the parents, the students, the teacher, the support staff, community members. And while every teacher sees their own piece of the pie, the principal sees the whole pie. And one of the things that I learned about being an administrator is that every teacher thinks that their class is the most important and they should. Like, that's really important. But as the principal, you have to make decisions based on the good of the whole school, which sometimes can conflict with individual wants, both from parents and teachers. So I think that everyone has a connection to education. Either they were a student or now they're a parent with kids at school, that they work in school, they know someone who does. And for the love of learning shows how complex a school community is. Uh, But I do think in the end, it's the relationships that are formed that are the most important um, part of the school. So I don't know that there's any one group that I think would most benefit from it. But I do think that sometimes it's a bit of a mystery, that role of a principal. Kristen, that's a a wonderful answer. I'm coming back to your first response because I still haven't got past the part where you're uh, teaching with possible snakes in the room. And I had this flashback (laughs) to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Um, But just hearing that story just opens my eyes to what it is that that you're going through, what it is that you're seeing. And it reminds me as a teacher that as much as I know my story, how little I know about the stories around me. And I think this connects perfectly to what this book is. This book is a story. And Pav and I actually talk a lot about the power of stories, whether you're talking math or science or physical education. It's really not about addressing a formula or establishing some rules. It's about creating spaces for stories for people to express themselves or to listen or to be seen or to be heard or to learn something new to build some empathy. And I really think 
the one of the keys to this book, which makes it so enjoyable to read, is that it is a story, and it's a wonderful starting place to start to figure out um, what other people in the buildings are doing. And you talked about that, is that teachers and rightfully so, are fixated on their class. Now, I think they're able to, when they stop and they come to meetings and they go to committees, they start to realize the vast complexities of the school. Uh, I remember, uh, Pat, you'll probably remember, Mr. Banman once told us, you know, you can have anything you want in school, but you might not get it tomorrow. So maybe you wanted, uh, back then, you wanted a projector in your room or you want a Promethean board. Mr. Bannerman, our principal, oh, you can get this, but working with the school, working with other teachers, it might take six years. It might take seven years to build the school capacity to reach all this. And I, I really, all these things are popping in my mind as you're telling these stories. You sort of answered this question, but I think it's sort of a lend on. As a teacher, I really, truthfully don't know what an administrator goes through. I think I do. And maybe in the staff room, I talk about they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing these great things, they're doing those things. But I think, as you highlight in the story highlights, there's so many vast complexities to being an administrator. What is one of those uh, misconceptions you think people have about what administrators do in a building that this book provides an access point to the readers to get insight to through this wonderful narrative of the role of the administrator? So please, if you could just sort of talk about that, if there's something that resonates with you, what misconceptions do you think this book might address for folks or just give you know a window for folks to get a really great sense or a good look? Look at what an administrator does. Well, I do think that sometimes the role of the principal is a bit of a mystery. And certainly as when I was a teacher, when I taught for many, many years, I really didn't know what my principal did all day long. And many years, I remember in the beginning of my career, I was teaching grade one. So you'd have to teach the kids when and how to interrupt you. Um, and I had three reasons in my classroom where you could just interrupt me without being polite. One, there was a lot of blood. Two, you were going to throw up on the floor. Or three, the principal was at the door. And mm -hmm. um, of course, I never wanted to be that person as principal where teachers would come to a complete stop and look at me. Um, but I think that the relationship that teachers have with their administrator can sometimes be distance. Um, and I did have that experience as a teacher. Um, and I didn't really want that um, as a principal. And I, at first, I really struggled with being disconnected from the classroom and kids and teaching. And I think what people don't realize is that the job can be quite lonely. You don't really have the same camaraderie that you have as a teacher. Uh, actually, sometimes you walk into a room and everyone stops talking or they hear your high heels in the hallway and you can hear doors shutting. And so at first I found that um, it was a really difficult job in that, you know, one day you're hanging out in the staff room talking to everybody and the next day you have a totally different position. But, you know, over time I decided that Really, I still wanted to be involved in teaching because I think teaching is the core of school. Plus, I really didn't like the administrative stuff that much. And so um, what I tried was to really to connect with my teachers about teaching. Like I'd even schedule classroom visits almost every day. So I was forced to get out of the office. And so what I hope that, that teachers maybe take away from it is that administrators can be approachable and interested in the learning and teaching. Um, and it doesn't 
have to be or it isn't. I think that probably depends a little bit on the administrator, but it doesn't have to be just an administrative job that you can be part of the school community um, on the same level as teachers because teachers love teaching. And so I think when I could also show that I love teaching, that really made the job a lot more interesting for me. Thank you for that answer, Kristen. Um, I really like that you mentioned I, I mean, I, I don't like that you you had the experience of feeling lonely, but I, I like that you mentioned that that was a feeling that you had because I think as teachers, that's that's something that we don't often think about what the the principal or the administration is is thinking about as they go through their day. So um, I, I like that because because it really humanizes. Um, who the principal is in the space. And and I think that what it does is it creates that vulnerability so that connections can be made a little bit easier. So I, I think that that's a theme that needs to be talked about a little bit more because I think it makes that, that connection process a little bit easier from the teacher side of things. Because as you, you were mentioning, yeah, those are things that we have all experienced. You hear the click clack of the heels coming down the hall and suddenly, you know, you have to, you have to stretch up what you're doing, or you have to make sure that everything is 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 worthy of being displayed. Um, but oftentimes, that's not what the principal is thinking when they are walking down the hall or coming into the classroom. They just kind of want to be around the reason why they're in education in the first place. So I um, I appreciate that that comment, and I appreciate you bringing that up a little bit because I think that 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 disconnectedness is something that is often overlooked, and it can be a barrier to that relationship creation between. Um, between teachers and, and administration. So, um, I appreciate that, that, um, that conversation piece, um, and sort of along the same lines of themes within this conversation and themes within the book, um, as I was reading through the the book, there was a theme that really stuck out to me in your anecdotes and your stories. And, and that was really this key theme of empathy. And we talked a little bit about this empathy towards teachers and towards, uh, you know, the sort of the camaraderie that happens with with the staff in the school, but there's really this, this idea of empathy towards students that is sometimes missed when having, uh, conversations about administrators or principals. Um, so do you feel that this, this humanistic quality is sometimes lost or missing in roles where there's maybe a disciplinary stereotype that's attached to the role? Um, and why is it so important to display empathy and kindness and love with students of all ages and for teachers, for that matter, especially as an administrator? Well, you know, so many times parents would come into my office for one reason or another, and I try to be super friendly and welcoming, and they'd sit down, they go, ooh, I'm in the principal's office. So clearly they had memories attached. And even in the book, I tell the story of Mr. Gwen, who tries to discipline his own kids by saying, if you don't go to bed, I'm calling Mrs. Phillips. So a lot of times in this role, you're just sort of seen as this big disciplinarian. And it's really tricky as the principal to keep your role and your sort of yourself or your belief system or your integrity separate from this disciplinary role. And you do have a lot of power as the principal and you do get to make a lot of decisions. And one of the first things I noticed when I was a VP is that I would walk into a classroom and 
all the kids would sit up straighter. In fact, I spent the whole day, that first day, just walking into classrooms. And every single time it happened, it was like a magic trick. And I was so surprised because I didn't really think I was any different than I was the year before when I was a teacher. But now I have this sort of aura attached to me. And it was it was really weird. Um, so then as far as discipline goes, I've always found that it works better if you have a relationship with the kid first. Otherwise, it's almost meaningless if you're if you're just that person that's going to hand out the consequences. And early in my career as an administrator, suspensions in particular were looked upon as being like if you handed out a lot of suspensions, you were a tough administrator. In fact, they used to publish the number of um, suspensions for each school. And but I didn't really like that because. The kids who end up in the principal's office are usually the ones that have the greatest needs. And so if you're only handing out discipline, you're probably not going to make a difference. I've never really seen a kid change their behavior because you suspended them. And so like Sawyer in the book, who plays backgammon with me every Tuesday, um, he's always pushing the other kids. And it would have been really easy just to hand out escalating consequences for him. And of course, there were some consequences, but what he really needed was kindness and a caring relationship and to win at backgammon, but mostly because I wasn't very good, and to learn how to enter into the play with the other kids. And if I had just suspended him all the time, I don't think it would have helped him at all. I think we wouldn't have made any progress with him. And of course, his dad wouldn't have been supportive either because dad thought he was being bullied and that, um, you know, that he was the victim here. So we really had to work in the whole system to support him. So, you know, sometimes I think there's this belief, I don't think it's true, but it happens in a lot of schools that if the principal just comes down really hard, then the whole school will miraculously be better behaved. And it's sort of the same as I would be asked, like, could I just make an announcement about throwing snowballs at recess? Oh, and if I made the announcement, then none of the kids were going to throw snowballs anymore. But I really don't think I had that much power. So even though you have to be involved in discipline as the principal, I do think that you have to do it through this lens of kindness and understanding because the kids you're working with in particular are the ones who have the greatest needs. Kristen, thank you for that. That's a great answer. It got, has me thinking about a, a few things. When you talked about uh, students straightening up when you walked into the room, reminds me of something Pav and I have, have really been be, tried to become more aware of is how much of our positional power resonates regardless of necessarily our words or our actions. And when you're curating and, and designing lessons in a very micro version of how you would set up a school, you need to be mindful of how your power how your position resonates and lands on for us students and so we often talk about the idea of creating a safe space but holding all the positional powers it's you know a little naive for us to say a space is safe it's always safe for us because at the end power still is with us and we often talk about how much pressure do we put on students through our positional power not so much through our tone not so much through you know um 
discipline notes, but how much positional power resonates on people. And I think Pav and I have really tried to disrupt our own positional power. And you do that through pedagogy and talking about student choice and and items like that and trying to build relationships. But there's also that flow because the safety of the room, the accountability of the room comes back to the teacher. So as much as you want to build and foster a positive uh authentic relationship you do have to it's not about just being the student's friend because it, that dynamic isn't the dynamic you're trying to set up you're trying to establish that i'm a teacher that loves my job has takes on the moral and ethical responsibility of the work and i want this room to be a wonderful learning space for you and i sort of see that that as you talk about the administrator like how do i build connections or how do i build understanding is i start to see uh the parallels the micro versus uh, the macro. So really, thank you for for diving into that. Where, what can be the perceptions of power, and what what are tools that administrators sort of? I wonder even if you felt any pressure. Now I'm just thinking out loud. Now as you talked about that, about those suspension numbers, I start to think now we've been talking about sort of principal and schools, but what pressures are going on principals beyond? That could be a whole nother episode. But uh, and you can talk about any of those things. But I want to come back to your writing process um, because lots of teachers you know, do similar things like they blog or they create audio content. They have means of creating content and writing a book is a, I don't want superior, I don't want to create a hierarchy, but it's a a, a beautiful space to create and and to document your journey. Like it's, I think of Pav and I, we have our picture book and we know it was a journey of self-reflection, but you get caught thinking about many different things in the writing process. Will people like it? Do I need it to be liked? Uh, What audience am I going to hit? Or does it just become a journey of self-reflection? But I know lots of teachers blog and engaging content. If you could give us some insights into what your journey was about writing. You'd commented that you were a writer, but did you perceive yourself as being an author? Did you perceive yourself as writing uh, this type of narrative to introduce people into education? So please take us into sort of the process of your writing journey. And at the end, um, what did it do for you as a human being? Because Pav talked about that humanizing. How does writing make you, I don't want to say a better human, but I guess I'm going to say make you a more confident human? And then, and then now that I've asked like 17,000 questions, hopefully you jotted a few of them down. Um, you know, what's next for you? What does, where does this book lead? What, how, how does this manifest in uh, more opportunities or a continuation of your, your teaching journey? Please give us some insights into your writing process and where this is going to take you. Well, as I said, I never really thought I was going to be an author of a book um, and probably wouldn't have done it um, had the pandemic not hit and I got tired of quilting and making bread. And, and so I have always been a pedagogy person. That's always been my passion. How do we teach reading better? How do we teach math better? What are good assessment practices? All those kind of teachery kinds of things. And so when I first thought about writing a book, I kind of had that in mind. Like, what about a series of essays um, around, you know, best practices in teaching or something like that? Um, A friend of mine is in publishing. And so I kind of said, you know, what do you think about this? And and he said, well, you know, you might be able to to write it, but I don't think anyone's going to read that. And he suggested this sort of narrative story. And I said, well, I can't 
I can't write that. Like that's, that's not who I am. I'm not an imaginative kind of person. I, you know, how am I going to write dialogue? When do I have to describe everybody? Like this is going to be hard. Um, but of course the pandemic continued to go on. So I just was fiddling with it. Um, and I, I started to just sort of randomly write down some of the stories that I remembered or that I thought might, um, you know, point to key, key themes in education. Uh, so then it sort of kind of came together and it was fun. It was like remembering your, your career and the things that were important. But I think what I discovered was that it was the stories that I ended up choosing were about the relationships I had and the change process of working with people and, um, all coming together as a school community and not really about pedagogy so much at all. And so it really made me reflect on all the students and parents and teachers over the years that really taught me so much about what schools can be and how you, how you can have a school become this really close knit learning organization um, and it's not because you have good pedagogy, although good pedagogy is super important. I still love it the best. But it is about those relationships um, that that you form and that that hold us all together. So although I think if you'd asked me before I wrote the book, do you think relationships are important? I would have said, of course they're important. But I think the process of writing the book really made me appreciate the importance of those relationships and that a school community is really held together by the relationships you form with everybody who's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what am I going to do next? Well, I still write my blog, which um, is called EduBits. And I, um, I'm, I'm retired now. So you know, that means I can eat lunch and drink a whole cup of coffee in one (laughs) sitting. Um, But I'm still connected to education. I do tutor. And I'm hopeful now that the pandemic's coming to an end or a new normal or whatever stage we're in, that I will be able to get into schools and work with teachers because that is what I love to do. I love to teach. um, But I also love the the working with, with teachers as we um, experiment with new new ideas and try them out and see what'll happen. So that's what I'm hoping the the fall will bring, along with a little bit of travel. That's amazing, and we love that journey for you. And we love that you're going to have an opportunity to have a meal in peace uh, without interruption and be able to do all of the things that you absolutely love. I wanted to I wanted to mention that in reading this book. I found that I really loved the narrative format. So thank you for writing it in this way because um, one, it made it very easy to read and get lost in the stories. Um, and, and I also found that I connected to many of the parts and was able to pull relevant themes out of it and still feel like I was learning, but while reading stories and anecdotes, uh, that I could also connect with. So a lot of the time I was like, oh yeah, I've had that experience or, um, yes, I can understand this because I have seen it. And I think that even in our writing process, 
dissecting the experiences that you have in order to reflect and write about them truly um it, it results in growth is what I have found. And, and I think that that growth process is so important and the, that real, like really diving into the experiences and pulling them apart and remembering all the details and, and thinking, wow, I, I, I made that decision in that moment, or these are the things that happen really helps you to think a lot about yourself and help you grow. So I can truly appreciate that this is a great story for others to read and uh, and to sort of learn about the the teaching and the educational journey. But also, it's a great place for you yourself to reflect on all of the incredible things that you have experienced in your career and uh, and really be able to put them together and and consolidate and archive and document all of the wonderful things that you have had to help you yourself grow a little bit as well. So uh, so thank you so much, Kristen, for for highlighting that process and and for highlighting the importance of reflection because for Che and myself that has been so key in our journey for the last few years that um, that we have like a real appreciation for how much work goes into uh, writing a, a book like this. And so, um, so thank you for that. Where can we, where can we purchase the book? Where is the book available? Well, it's available in most bookstores now. Um, so without saying particular names of stores, any large bookstore in Toronto or Ontario, um, or throughout Canada actually, um, has copies of the book. You can get it online, um, from all the major online bookstores. Um, so it's fairly accessible. And if you don't Perfect. have a copy, it'd be great if you bought one. Amazing. And uh, we will link all of the the places uh, where you can buy the book. And we'll also link your blog, uh, Edubits, to the show notes so that uh, listeners can, can purchase the book and can uh, catch up with some of your other content in your blog as well. So okay, thank great. you so much, Kristen, for, for joining us today and for having this conversation with us um, and, and for talking a little bit about not only the writing process, but also many of the wonderful uh, anecdotes and stories that the book contains for the love of reading. Um, and so thank you so much for, for taking some time out to talk to us today about it. Thanks so much for having me. I always enjoy talking education. Kristen, thank you. Pav, thank you. And of course, the book is For the Love of Learning, A Year in the Life of a School Principal by Kristen Phillips. And as Pav talked about, it will be in our show notes, but it'll also be all over our social media. Kristen, thank you for giving us, gifting us your time, your insights, and this a beautiful book for us to, to dive into. Thank you very much. Thank you, and have a great start to your school year. Hi, this is Stephen Hurley from Voice Ed Radio, and you are listening to The Che and Pav Show. Well, that was a marvelous story and a marvelous conversation with Kristen to, to one, to, the story, the book itself gives you great insights into that humanizing role of the principal, but just talking to her and seeing where she has come from and the things she goes through. And I think 
Pav, it, it's, it's really good to see. No, not good. It's not good to see. I see the struggle, mm-hmm. uh, the challenges, and maybe challenges I hadn't seen per se uh, as a teacher. Now, when we were off, you know, off camera, you mentioned one, so I won't gaslight you right now by using that and then, you know, you having to figure out what you're going to say next. Do you remember what we talked about in regards to... Uh, the loneliness? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that was some, probably a highlight of the conversation that we had with Kristen, uh, was talking about how lonely it can be to be a school principal because you don't have um, necessarily the same kind of peers. I mean, if you've got a vice principal with you, yes, absolutely. But even then, you feel like you're really isolated in your own little silos and and you don't have uh, people to go and decompress with. Like for us as teachers, uh, you know, you can walk into the room next door and kind of and talk about your successes and things that didn't go so well in the classroom or if there are frustrations you need to talk about or things to get off your chest. Um, But it was really enlightening to hear Kristen talk about how lonely uh, she has felt in times as as principal and not really having that that space where she can talk about or go to people and really, really discuss things openly um, on a day to day basis. There's nowhere really for her to be able to go and do that. And so for myself, that was that was a really enlightening moment for me to to kind of understand that and see that from her perspective. It was a very powerful and not to make low resolution generalization. But of course, most administrators have been teachers. And so they'll sort of hear the grumblings of how teachers may perceive administration because she talked a little bit about that, knowing that when teachers heard her coming down the hallway, they would, you know, tense up. Uh, not that I've ever known that. Kids, put your Chromebooks away, quick. <laughs> Get off Kahoot. Um, it was good to see or important to see um, that maybe breaks that very simple narrative that Teachers just want to be uh, in positions of power. They just mm-hmm. crave that l- power, that leadership. When ultimately, Christian just wanted to continue to teach and continue to lead because we know mm-hmm. teachers are leaders as well. There's, you're always a leader. Uh, so it was really good to see that. And so she was aware of the stigma, how she may be perceived, and that was something she had to battle. And I thought that was really uh, resonated with me is... is this is what new administrators go through. And sometimes I think they, they, they are cast in a different light within a school. And I like that, that talk of loneliness because it reminds me as a teacher, like how do I deal? I love the, being in that silo. I love the freedom of teaching. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love what that loneliness provides for me right. in one sense. The, the ability to just go on my own, see what's going to happen, trial and error, exploration, fun, play. But of course... For every, it's like the flip of the coin. For every time that works and makes you feel good, there's going to be moments where that backfires and you just feel, where, where do I reach out to and remind you that teachers, and I'll, we'll just speak specifically on teachers because that's the experience we know and, and the experience we've had is that it's quick to find someone to lean on right away. It's the teacher down the hall. It's the teacher upstairs. When the administrators are looking, it's the teacher I text. <laughs> and, but <laughs> if only you could see Pat's face right now, but... Um, you have really quick venues, really quick access points to sort of deal with, with issues. And, and that conversation in the book about that loneliness, it, it resonates because if you don't have someone that in the immediacy to lean on, who are you leaning on? And you think of the, the massive emotional burden that administrators shoulder all the time and don't necessarily have 
a way to give that a way to relieve that right away. So that yeah. was great one. I loved the, the talking about because it always comes back to relationships, right? It was about mm-hmm. building relationships as an administrator. Of course, everything is a relationship, and you know, Pav, you and I dive deep into conversations about relationships because. Again, it's often very low resolution. We need relationships, of course. But one I would start with, you have a relationship with everyone around you. It's not that you need to start one. There already is one. Right. And that relationship might be very distant. And that rate, uh, uh, relationship may be entirely dictated by uh, roles in the hierarchy, the job titles. But there's a relationship. So how are you going to manifest it with intention? How are you going to build upon it? How are you maybe not necessarily going to force it upon folks? We, Pav, you know, you and I have this conversation with teaching, we know relationships are important, but pause. What are we building the relationship for? Is it because we want better productivity from our students? Are we looking to leverage engagement? Are we building relationships to support our positional power? Or are we building a relationship slowly over time at the student's pace, simply and importantly, to have a better relationship? Mm-hmm. And um, I think often in the conversation of relationship, we speed over it so quickly. And don't, don't dive deep. Relationships are nuanced. They're complex. They go through ups and downs. And we have to be very um, aware that they're critical of importance, but not for any leveraging movement. It's not about, I don't, I don't want to have a great relationship with students until they'll do more work. I, I, I actually want to disconnect the two. Maybe, they'll, maybe that'll manifest. Maybe that better relationship will lead to higher engagement in the classroom, but maybe it won't. And as a teacher, you better be okay with having a great relationship with the student that may not necessarily resonate in some of those areas mm-hmm. that you think you may want. Ultimately, when we talk about the whole student, that it, uh, building a better relationship with your student is important in and of itself. And I think that's one of the reminders that came through to me in this conversation about relationships is that we don't want to just trivialize and move so quick. It's about relationships. Yes, it is. Now let's talk a little bit about the relationships. Yeah, and I really love the way that Kristen uh, tells the story through several different types of relationships throughout the book. So she has uh, many different anecdotes throughout that follow the course of the year where she is, um, you know, she is speaking to students or she's engaging in this uh, sort of building and creating a trusting relationship with several students throughout the story and then also with teachers as well. And so um, the, the story really, you can follow it almost like a narrative like a tale that she tells from day one to uh, day 180 and and I really enjoy following the different storylines and the different relationships that she builds throughout the story with several different students and with teachers as well so I thought that was really well done and she she really gets in deep with the different types of relationships that exist Um, we talked a little bit about the role of you know the the disciplinarian as an authoritative figure um, of of administrator and and how that plays a role with relationships with students as well so um, it was really great to get into the conversation with Kristen about those relationships and and how they are built um, and what are the factors and the foundations they are built upon and how they can continue throughout the the entire school year so um, that was a real highlight for me as well I the story is so brilliantly woven together as a narrative that you you perhaps don't realize as you're listening to the story the learning that's going on, the connections you're making, the, the curiosity that's formed. And, and again, it reminds me back to the, the original point, the importance of stories, because it opens you up. And I believe that it just, it, 
it makes learning really accessible and almost like secondary. You don't come into the story necessarily thinking I need to learn. And it's not written that way. It's not six steps to being a principal. But ultimately, you learn the same strategies, not via a checklist, but through the humanizing of the principal's role, through Christian's walk through education. You pick up on it, you learn it, you absorb it, and you could probably argue... When I just have a checklist, if I don't have an example to go with it, it's, it's not, it's not going to last. It's not going to stick. When we flip this, almost like the flip classroom model, when I start with a story, all of a sudden that checklist, and it doesn't have to be a checklist, it manifests. We just see it. And this book is a really comfortable read. It's a really humanizing read. And when you think about who benefits from it, as a teacher, I really benefit it from the increased humanization of the administrator, the principal, the leader in the building. Even though I think I'm aware of it, now that I have this wonderful narrative example that just sort of supports it, I've actually grown more through the story than say if I'd gone through 37 bullet points on a PowerPoint. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, what do you think, Che? Are we ready for a swag bag? Hey, I'm just a gym guy. I just react. I don't do no thinking. Eh? Don't do a lot of thinking. That's, that's new teaching. That's new pedagogy. <laughs> All right. Let's push the button on the old Roadcaster Pro. I'm not so rusty on it anymore. Yeah. And let's get to our swag bag of the Champav Show, episode 114, an interview with Kristen Phillips on her best-selling book, For the Love of Learning, A Year in the Life of a School Principal. And of course... Our swag bag is not the definitive learning. It's just what Pav and I feel we've learned the most or been reinvigorated the most through this episode. But Pav and I, we're just two middle school teachers. We've ascended to no mountaintop. We have no insights that you don't have. This is collective learning, collective growth. And we look forward to you commenting on this episode and reaching out to us to continue the conversation, to continue the learning. Pav, I got three items on my swag bag. One, I think we've spoken extensively. Stories, the power of story, connect, humanize everything we do. It's not just for adolescent reading part one, two, or three to embed stories. We want to embed stories everywhere. Two, relationships, understanding all the dynamics of a relationship and what we have to contend with and what we want to uh, sort of rise to. And we want to build quality relationships solely for having a quality relationship. All the other benefits of that, we hope they come, we, we, we anticipate they'll come, but they're not conditioned. I am not building a relationship with you in order for you to work harder. I was one of my swipe bag. And then we talked a little bit more about this in the interview, Pav, is being a content creator. Kristen took a shot, she wrote her story. It connected with folks. And as much as she's wrote a really powerful story, there's space for everyone to share content, to share their stories. Stories don't, will lose their value if we're only getting singular narratives, singular stories. They work best when we open up that, see that window and open up that sliding door and reconnect. And so the best way to do that is have as many stories out there. So if you're thinking about blogging, if you think about podcasting, if you think about YouTubing, if you think about writing a story, go for it, do, do it. It's a journey of self actualization as much as you think you're writing for other folks you are but ultimately you're writing for you and when you're writing for yourself and you're learning about yourself trust that others are learning along the horizon with you 
Amazing. Thank you so much for that swag bag, Che, and for that recap of our learning from the episode. And thank you so much to Kristen Phillips for sitting down with us to chat about her best-selling book, For the Love of Learning, A Year in the Life of a School Principal. And thank you to you for tuning in and listening to this, I almost said the Stafford (laughs) Podcast, to the Che and (laughs) Pav Show. <laughs> Today, episode 114. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Oh, let me see if I push record. Oh, yeah, it looks like I did. Okay.